This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're going to need another Timmy. Smug, confident, secure because you are sane. You know what madness is or how it strikes? Have you seen the demons that surge through the corridors of the crazed mind? Come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my world. Let me lead you into it. No power on earth can exercise the terror from scum of the earth. Okie dokie, folks. I'm Frank Bonacci, and I'm the scum of the... to get that fixed. Ugh. Actually, okay, here's my plan. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know how I accidentally put the home improvement theme song in. I don't know how. And so this week I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll just recall it so everybody would think it was a bit. Uh, I get you. I always feel weird when I leave stuff in. It's just like every now and again, I think I've been good about it. But every now and again, there's like a pregnant pause that gets left in. And I just want to, like I said, that I think I said that was Shelby Scott. We talked about that because it's weird when you just put yourself out there. I don't think I could have done this. 10 years ago. Actually, no, I know I couldn't have done it. Me and Chris have been talking about doing podcasts forever. I've recorded stuff with a bunch of people over the years and I would always shelve it because as soon as I hear it, I go, Ugh, I can't, this is no good. This is no good. I don't think I was comfortable with myself enough to do this kind of thing to like put myself out there. I was just absolutely was not confident enough to do that. So I don't know. So when Chris asked me this time, I was just like, sure. It didn't bother me. So maybe there's some growth happening. I don't know. I think actually, yeah. It's either the growth or the antidepressants. I think it's a combination of the two. It's probably just the antidepressants. I'll circle back to the whole putting yourself out there. I've got a, I got a plan, but I just want to talk about where I've been in the last few weeks. Uh, oh, have I told you guys about how I went to the PhillyCon? Oh, I have it? Okay, great. Yeah, me and my wife went to, was it, was it, was it, it used to be Wizard World. What's it called now? Philly uh, Expo, Fan Expo, Fan Expo, Fan Expo, Philadelphia. Uh, if you're ever in Philadelphia, by the way. Listen, as a person who's, you know, got diabetes, you know, I got diabetes. No, I got these scars. <laughs> I turned it back to Batman again. God damn it. I got diabetes. 
by eating good. And I know the spots. Like, you know, you don't get diabetes by not knowing the spots. There's a spot in the Reading Terminal Market across from the convention center if you're ever in Philadelphia. There's no other reason to ever go to Philadelphia other than this. You go to the Knicks in the Reading Terminal Market and you get the Italian style roast pork sandwich. Listen, it's better than, listen, I can't, am I going to bother describing it? Oh, dude, I I didn't go there with an agenda. So, oh, well, yeah, oh, by the way, thank you, bloody disgusting, because I got to go as press. Mm, look at me, press. Uh, met some fun people. Uh, I met uh, who might come on the show is the guy who did all the covers for the Goosebumps books. Dude, that shit's iconic. Come on. I was too old to read Goosebumps. Chris is more of a big Goosebumps fan than I am. But even I, like, you see those covers, you go, oh, Goosebumps. Uh, but the big one for me was meeting Sam Raimi. Dude. So I've gone to conventions and, you know, I, I've worked in entertainment. So I don't get starstruck often. I just don't. It's just like, I'm more just like, hi, thanks. More often than not, I'm not going because I'm the biggest fan. It's just because I want something cool signed. Incidentally, I also made a movie about the convention experience. Everybody's interested. I know nobody is, but hey, it's been a while since I shilled for that. Honestly, like after I shot my movie about cons, I was kind of conned out. I, I, I couldn't go for like a few years. I think I went to New York Comic Con 2019 before like the recent unpleasantness we had. If you've listened to any of our interviews or just listened to any of our shows, you know I'm a big Evil Dead fan. And Sam Raimi was like a hero of mine growing up. I don't get starstruck and I certainly don't get emotional. Like I've met uh, John Carpenter, Roddy Piper, and I'm big fans of that, big fans. The nicest person I've ever met at a convention since we're here, since we're talking about this, is uh, Billy West, voice of Ren and Stimpy. Uh, great dude. Like he was so sweet, like genuinely sweet. There were some times that were unpleasant <laughs> that I met celebrities, which I kind of dramatized in my movie. Two fan events, two times I got emotional. One was when I met Mel Brooks. The second time was when I met Sam Raimi. So me and my wife went up and she knows how big a deal that movie is for me. And I really hadn't gone there to get anything signed. I didn't go in an agenda. My wife really wanted to go because she wanted to see that guy who was on that show, Stranger Things, that everybody likes, who's the guitar guy. He does something with a guitar and they like him. I know I'm supposed to like that show, but I don't. Sorry. Oh no, I've lost our fan. But uh, so I go up and I just said, hey, uh, just want to say, you know, uh, I am a filmmaker myself and you are one of the primary reasons I got into film. And he was, you could tell he was genuinely touched by it. I got a Japanese poster, uh, Army of Darkness. He, he writes to Frank, my brother in film, Sam Raimi. And he was so sweet. He was such a nice dude. You could tell he was a nice dude. I then kind of spoiled the moment by inviting him on the podcast which he got really weird about. Understandably, it was like awkward. I'm like, who do I speak to to get you on the show? He's like, I, 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 I. he's like, oh boy. I was like, no, never mind, never mind. Thank you. Ruin the moment. It's all right. The first half was great though. So well, yeah, I was really into Sam Raimi as a kid. And uh, our guest today famously was too. There's a really cool story he's going to tell about that. I saw The Dead Next Door in my teens. Yeah, it's a movie that stuck with me. That's a movie that makes you go... When you're a young movie nerd, you see that a feature film shot in eight millimeter. Then you hear Bruce Campbell's voice. It's like, wow, I could do that. It blew my mind when I was a kid watching that movie. And that's why I asked him on. So I, I basically cyber stalked him until he came on the show. That's how I kind of get most of my interviews, as I probably mentioned before. But uh, he was cool enough to say yes. And with that, oh, didn't I say I was going to do something about putting myself out there? Yeah, I kind of forgot about that. I used the Sam Raimi thing to hook us back into the, the thread. Eh. And with that, I'm very happy. Our guest today on the Scum of the Earth program, director of the Dead Next Door, Ozone. You got to check out Ozone. Robot Ninja, my favorite remake of RoboCop, Zombie Cop. 
Mr. J.R. Bookwalter. Thank you so much for coming on today. My pleasure. Uh, when I was going back and forth with you via Facebook, was it Facebook Messenger or was it Instagram? Was I torturing you on Facebook Messenger? Oh yeah. See, what <laughs> I do is I, I harass everybody I want on on my show through their social media. So sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's the way everybody does it nowadays. It's easiest. Uh, it's nice that that people are more connected that way. So I think it's okay. I have uh, IMDb Pro, and I was like, do I bother? It's like I used to go through like you know IMDb Pro through their contact info, but I'm like, can I just ask them directly? <laughs> yeah, no, I get that a lot. And you know what? I mean, I come from the old school days where you know you used to have the PO box, and people would have to mm, mail you, oh and everything was so slow. So <laughs> it's a little more direct and a little uh, faster. Well, I was talking to you via email. Uh, you were talking about you were in production right now and you were just rapping a few days ago. Is this film, uh, Side Effects May Vary? It is. That's your newest film? And this is the first time you've directed in a while. More than 20 years. Yeah, why um, the hiatus? Well, I mean, I kind of just had a particularly bad... I'd gone to, to L.A. some years back and, and had gotten involved with, 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 with... Yeah, I know. With Full Moon <laughs> uh, and made a wound up making a bunch of films for them. Which was mostly a positive experience, but the last one I did was this giant scorpion thing, which was shot as stingers, then it was called Deadly Stingers, and I guess it's finally streaming now as uh, Mega Scorpions, which is not a title I'm particularly fond of, but... <laughs> It, it was, fits it in with that not, asylum style. I guess they were going for the yeah, asylum style. It's like, got that same same kind of artwork too. Yeah, yeah. It, looks like, it looks like one of those flicks. But that, it was a kind of an experience that I just sort of realized that you know I kind of wanted to go back to. I was doing a lot of work for hire, and I wasn't really making the stuff that I wanted to to make. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm gonna just sort of put a pin in this for a while and, and see what happens. And then I, you know, uh, met a nice girl and, and moved back to Ohio and had a uh, family. And that just kind of kept me busy for a chunk of years. I mean, I was never really out of the business because I was doing I was distribution. Yeah. Yeah. And I had some other stuff that I was executive producing and things like that. So it wasn't, it was more just, I think everybody had given up on that thinking that I was actually going to come out of the woodwork and, and actually direct anything again. But other than that, I was still had, had my hand in everything. It's such a, you know, it's a time commitment and it's mentally draining. It really is when you direct like producing, I I've been on that end myself and it's like, at, at the end of the day, it's like, it's not on all your shoulders when you're producing. I mean, you feel, you do feel that weight of responsibility, but when you're directing, it's like every, the whole world's on your shoulders. And that's, well, and that's the thing. And it was pre producing, you know, a lot of it was, a, I would just write a check and somebody would go off and make something. And then maybe I'd get involved in the post-production end, which is sort of a specialty of mine. And I would finish it that way. But you know, you, you're, you don't get your hands quite as dirty, but yeah, you're right. And on this particular movie, I not only directed it, I actually decided to shoot and light it as well. I wanted to kind of go back to the ozone days when I, you know, in the early nineties, when I was kind of doing everything myself and I didn't quite realize, you know, I'm 56 years old now and that's a big commitment because I'm going to be so focused on that part of it that I'm, you know, less focused on other aspects like working with the actors, which I had kind of gotten used to from going to full moon and, and doing movies there, you know, I always had a cinematographer and I, I was a, a lot more hands off on the technical side of it. As far as when the shooting, you know, I didn't have a camera in my hands. I didn't have to move lights, that kind of stuff. So that was the biggest sort of regret that I have with the, the new movie is that I, you know, decided to take on this challenge and, and it wound up being a little more than I bargained for probably, but it all turned out good. So, I mean, the movie looks great and, you know, so far so good. So that's great. So you went, so, and I, I've had this discussion myself with friends of mine is it's like, you went from 
your own DIY style of filmmaking to a more studio system setup, which is more regimented and much more just the, the organization the way it's done is different. Which do you prefer? I prefer doing this stuff the DIY way myself. Um, there's something to be said for both. I mean, I, you know, cause I, this wasn't the doing the full moon way. wasn't the first time that I had done that after I had made the dead next door in the late eighties, I wound up getting involved with um, cinema home video and doing a lot of work for hire stuff for them as well. Although that was sort of made under our DIY style, you know, and it was less corporate, I guess, than the full moon way of doing things. But there's something to be said for both. I mean, I think you have to have a certain amount of discipline to be able to to make a low budget movie. Is certainly if you're going to have it in a certain certain amount of time and it's for a certain amount of money. Um, so it's good to have that discipline. And I I certainly learned a lot of valuable lessons from from working out in LA, which is, you know, a challenge unto itself. You can't just go out on the street and, you know, shoot things, although we certainly did that we, and we got away with it more <laughs> often than not. But, you know, in Ohio, you can get o away with a lot more. Although, you know, the way society is now, it's, you know, we even had, we got the cops called on us for a scene that we were shooting in my neighborhood for side effects where we're driving around shooting car shots and we just kept going in a circle around my neighborhood and somebody actually called the cops on us and they came and thought it was kind of funny. I mean, they showed up like an hour after we were already done. So <laughs> we had the footage we needed, but <laughs> it was just sort of funny. It's like, really? Like people don't have anything better to do. This you know, is on I mean, your newest in, film that, that you got. The yeah. Cops yeah. Called? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing back in the nineties. I mean, we were, I, you know, I remember making this little movie called zombie cop. We were running around uh, the village of Mogador, Ohio, this little community with a, a shotgun full of blanks, like firing, you know, shotguns. And I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff that you could never, ever get away with today. Oh yeah. You know, I didn't even think I've seen zombie cop. Uh, loves. Yeah. Cop. And uh, I mean, it, it's just nuts. The, the, but it's just, it's funny that like, just the simple thing of like, driving around the neighborhood with, you know, we had two, I was in the back of my Ford Explorer sort of monitoring what was going on because the camera and the sound and everything was inside the the car that we were shooting driving scenes um, with the, the show car, I guess. There's just somebody, you know, my hatchback was up and I'm in the back hanging off the car and, you know, there's a guy in a police uniform because he's supposed to be a detective. And so it's just, I, it just, you know, people would just saw us go by so many times. They were like calling the police, like what's going on? You know, is somebody up to something? It's just funny how society has changed in that regards. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, yeah, it's, it's not as uh, carefree <laughs> as it once was. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I think you can, you know, I mean, on the flip side of that is we had a lot of great locations where we did do a lot of crazy stuff, you know, on, on people's private property. So, you, you know, you can still, you can still have some of that fun. You just can't maybe do it out on the street in public as much as you used to. Uh, maybe not. So, you know what it is? I mean, I live in New York and I think people are so accustomed to cameras here that you can get away with a lot of weird stuff, like on the street that way. Like, I think maybe where you are, you're probably like the only show in town. Like, well, uh, I the, mean, there's a lot of people um, in Ohio now that are that are certainly more than when I was doing it back in the, the 80s and 90s. But, yeah, I mean, it's not a it's not a common thing, especially in the area that I live in. You know, it's sort of a nice suburban area. They just, you know, they don't know. They don't. Most of my neighbors don't even know that we that I that I've done this in the past. They have no idea. You know, they just thought, oh, I, they see the UPS or FedEx truck pulling up to my place or whatever, but they have no idea outside of that, that I, you know, had a history of making this stuff until we shot this, you know, we did do some of the shooting in, in my neighborhood. So now they, 
at least aware that I do it. But in in Ohio, it was always like, oh, you're making movies? It's like, what are you doing, porn? I'm like, is there really that much porn made in Ohio? I wasn't aware. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. But that was always the thing back, back in the 80s and 90s. People were like, are you doing porn? It's like, why Why is that the first thing you go to? Like, <laughs> you think that it, that it just has to be porn. It's funny when you, act, there is that other side of that. When you shoot in New York, people are so jaded by it. or And LA too, I imagine. Oh yeah, and for sure. It's that they're so jaded by it. But when, you, when you're doing it in smaller places, like I remember we, we did some film uh, and we had to go to Arizona. Uh, like not even like like Tempe, like not even like, you know, big one of the bigger cities. And it was just like we needed a, a diner scene. And like, you know, they're all ready to like throw like a lot of money, you know, for a day of shooting at a diner. And they're looking for locations. And like it was literally like a situation where it's like, you guys are shooting a movie. You want to shoot it here? Oh, that'd be so awesome. Yeah. And they just oh, yeah. It. That's the thing. It's a, it's a total, total. I mean, New York and L.A., everybody's so jaded. They they're, they're more annoyed that you're shooting. You know what <laughs> I mean? They, like it's an inconvenience to them where anywhere else in the country. People, I mean, like, that's the thing. I have a, a neighbor who lives down at the end of my street who's got this huge property that's like, he's got a farm and it, we shot a whole bunch of stuff there. He's got a warehouse that we were able to set up this lab set in. And I mean, he, he had so much stuff that it was like, wow, there's like, I could shoot probably 15 movies here and it would never, none of them would ever look the same, you know, but he was like, yeah, you can do whatever you need. You know, it's no problem. I didn't pay a dime for locations here. Everybody just was more than, than happy to let us do it. But in LA, right. that was, you know, we oh, had well, to pay everybody knows that they smell money. That's just like, well, how much you got? Yeah, exactly. You just had law and order here and they have a, I have a fixed rate with them. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, exactly. So you've been doing this for a long time, using a lot, a lot of the time in your early years, consumer level stuff. Can you believe how technology has evolved for like where you could get like, like for essentially consumer wear you could get studio level results now and you coming from like the vhs days has that blown your mind how it's changed oh i, I mean yeah it, it, it's weird to look back because i mean i started my first feature was on super 8 film and super 8 I, yeah when, when, then i upgraded to 16 millimeter and then i downgraded to super vhs and and then mini dv later and, and then kind of came full circle back to and actually got to do at least one 35 millimeter film before everybody stopped doing that but yeah and i mean now that whole digital thing thankfully i've kind of kept up on all of it you know, over the years, even if I wasn't really shooting anything, I was at least involved in the post-production and, you know, so I was involved in the digital stuff then. But I, it's it blows my mind only because when I made my first camcorder movie, which was Kingdom of the Vampire in, in 1991, you know, everybody mm -hmm. wanted to stick a, a straight jacket on me and slap me over the head and go, you're crazy. What do you, you've got to be nuts thinking you're going to be able to make a, a feature, you know, on video. It's like, why would you do such a thing? And I'm like, but this is the future. And nobody thought that at that time. And very few. I mean, there was a handful of us, you know the Polonia brothers and people like that, that were, that were also doing shot and video stuff. But yeah, I mean, I mean that was a, that was a viable market bell. Like, I mean, like, yeah, he's talking about Polonia brothers films, like boarding house. There was a, like, there was a big mark. There was a decent, it was a, people could get like, like there was a distribution route for those kind of films. There. Well, certainly more as it was. Now. I mean, now, now you have streaming, which is nice, but doesn't really pay you anything, you know, or very little. Um, at least then, yeah, you had the you had the potential to get into video stores, you know, and actually have people find your stuff that way, uh, which, you know, of course, doesn't never happens anymore. But yeah, that's uh, the so thing. Yeah, like, I mean, well, that's how I found films like yours. It was just the box like Dead Deck Store. You just walk to the video. So it's like, oh, this sounds cool. I like dead things. And it was it was amazing. I saw that. I saw things like that way, things that you yeah. wouldn't have actually like you would never come across that in the wild today. Well, you like, would, but you'd have to spend probably a, an entire night on Tubi. Look, you know, just browsing through all the other. There's so many 
titles now and and so much stuff that's available and and you know Tubi is sort of the the modern equivalent of the old video store in terms of it really the, is Tubi they whoever yeah, curates it, their culted horror sections is a real nerd I'm like somebody I'm like wow that's some deep cuts you're going for there <laughs> yeah I mean and, th and thank God for a place like that I mean there seems like there's always one like Amazon Prime was was that before Tubi you know and then they kind of kicked all the independents out a few years ago and and decided to clean house and there's there's always seems to be one like place that everybody takes advantage you know even netflix when they started their streaming you know my company was one of the first independents to sign with them because no the studios didn't want anything to do with them so we were licensing all of our stuff to them and actually making some you know decent money through that and then of course the studios started to smell blood in the water and eventually they you know netflix started dealing directly with the studios and then they didn't really care about us anymore but that's always i mean it, you always have like the traumas and the full moons and all these independent companies are sort of the companies that these now streaming services but it, it, back in the day video stores kind of build on top of you know what i mean it's like we're there that stuff is all built on the backs of independent companies first before the studios really I mean, even the, the video store days, the VHS days, you know, and, and going back to the Betamax days, I mean, a lot of that product that was available at the time was not studio product. You know, it was it was from independent companies that saw a niche and could take advantage of it. So so you came of age in those VHS days like I did. And there's a part of me that really would love to go back to it because there was that feeling of discovery. I don't think you have anymore where you just like. I mean, yeah, you got yeah, you have to scroll through Tubi, but there's that thing where it's just like you just see box art it's like I'm taking a gamble tonight. And, yeah, yeah. And the exactly. choice meant something. Cause it's just like this is it. <laughs> I'm not walking I back think, here. Yeah, and I think the thing is, I mean, people know at this point that, you know, how many shark movies and X and Amityville movies and all you know, there's so much of that stuff now that you can get on Tubi and you literally, you know, swing a virtual stick and hit you know, five or six of those movies, if not more. And I just don't know. It, it seems like the variety is not there as much as it used to be. Everybody's just trying to make what what they think will be. Uh, it will please the algorithm. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Exactly. And it, I don't think anybody, a lot of these companies are not really thinking about the end viewer. Like the, the I know there's, there's people that love that stuff. So I'm not knocking anybody. But me personally, I don't want to watch that kind of stuff. I'm looking for something a little more unique and a little different and call me crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I got to ask about Dead Next Door because that's like that movie is like such a huge influence on me because it was just a movie. One of those movies that you saw, it's like, wow, so you could do that. Like you like that was a crazy idea to me that you could take a Super 8 camera and make something like that. It was a mind blower, like watching that when I saw it as a kid. I was like, so this this is partially your fault why I'm always broke. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing, the, the crazy thing was it was originally I was going to make that movie on on VHS video for like four grand or eight grand or something like that. That was the original plan. And then it just sort of organically grew. And we had we shot some stuff. Uh, actually, on three quarter inch video as a test. Uh, you know, we'd set up a whole entire shooting day with like the whole crew and the whole cast. And we had extras come out. You know, and we staged, you know, a few scenes and we just didn't like the look of it. So that's what sort of I said, well, you know what? I did all my short films on Super 8 film. I feel more comfortable. We're going to have the look of, of film at that point. So the, the, the bad thing about it was it took four years to make and then another year before it ever saw the light of day. So during that five year span, the home video market started to erode. You know what I mean? Like the heyday of, of when did it eventually come out. 
80. Uh, it came out in 1990. It's, it's late, really? Wow. Yeah. In, incorrectly credited as 1989 a lot, but it's actually, it's funny because my second movie robot ninja actually came out like six months before the dead next door, which a lot of people don't realize, but that was how long it took. And then I went, you I were went shooting that it. in between like, uh, during hiatuses for that movie or just no, no, that? no, that actually, I, I, we had finished dead next door. I had gone to LA and we finished all the sound work for it. Um, and we had everything done. The picture was done. The sound was all done. And then it just sat for about a year. And during that year, um, I had, well, actually during the time I was, I was working on the post sound in LA, I met Dave Dakota and he was, um, looking for a new product for his cinema home video label, which we had just started. So that, that ultimately led to, to making robot ninja and, and skinned alive. And those movies were basically shot during the time that dead next door was sitting around, not coming out. So by the time dead next door came out, those two movies had already come out and had already been on VHS. So, so we kind of missed the boat, you know, the, the, the heydays of when Fred Olin Ray and David Dakota and Charlie band and, you know, Lloyd Kaufman, all those guys were taking advantage of the, the whole video store Renaissance. We were a little bit late to it. I mean, there was still a market, but um, by the time dead next door got out there and it, and it did get out there. I mean, thankfully there was, there were still places that wanted to take it, but it just wasn't as huge market if i had been two years earlier probably would have a lot more people would have known that movie even more than than know it now it does have legs though i mean like you know i always see a re-release here and it always i it's again it's one of those movies i always see on a ton of streaming services like i'm that. always yeah i mean i've tried to keep it available because that's the thing the minute you take something out of circulation or it's not available then it just gets bootlegged and that movie already gets bootlegged a lot i'm constantly seeing people post the full movie on youtube or it winds up on BitTorrent sites or whatever so it's it, like that, whack-a-mole <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing i'm just trying to minimize that just by you know making it available so that, that people can see it but like i said it's it's i'm su i'm always surprised that people discover it even to you know now because it just seems like there's so much stuff out there how is anybody finding this crazy movie you know what i mean so but thankfully they are well there are communities you know it's, it's just like i've realized i've noticed is that one good thing about this modern digital age is that communities form around like this is like a movie that will get talked about within a group setting a lot yes yeah and the, you know the thing is now we have the, there's conventions there's festivals that are promoting for v just for vhs collectors there's all this stuff that didn't exist back then and people talk i mean i'm constantly surprised that every once in a while i'll pop across the conversation where people are like oh has anybody ever seen the dead next door and you know like half the people maybe have and half the people haven't but then it's new people being introduced to something that's been around forever you know so they just they discover it and if they like it then they tell their friends about it and it just kind of keeps rolling on that's i think that's what's kept it going because even before you know in, in that year that it hadn't come out in between 89 and 90 um bootleg vhs tapes of it started to circulate i mean even like making it overseas in different places i don't know people were I don't know how anybody got a hold of it, but somebody was making copies of it and giving it to their collector friends. And it, that that's kind of how the movie first got a, a, a reputation even before it ever came out on VHS. So I remember if know. that was a video that you'd see on like uh, Sinister Cinema, like those mail site, those remember those mailing sites where you could like mail like uh, mail away for horror films. There was like it, a it was there. There was actually one called Marshall Discount Video that used to advertise every issue of Fangoria magazine in the I think in the letters column. They that's what I, yeah, like one of those. Yeah. yeah. And then that was the first place that was when I first saw it. I had gotten that new issue of Fango and I'm like, there it was, you know, new release of dead next door. I was like, holy smokes, finally, <laughs> <laughs> you know, after all that, all that effort and time. And, you know, it was, it was a long haul. That's for sure. I got to ask, I'm sure you're sick of the question, but, uh, for my audience, I got, I have, I, I'd have to ask it is these, 
How did Sam Raimi get involved with Dead Next Door? Or is that something well, we don't It's very simple. I, I was I had quit the Art Institute of Pittsburgh at the beginning of my second year and I moved back home and was just bumming around for a month or two. And I was happened to be reading through an old Fangoria magazine and it had the, the article on Evil Dead, which was a movie that I had seen many times as a drive-in and had enjoyed as a kid. And and the, I think that there was an issue that said that they were preparing to make an Evil Dead 2. So I looked it up, I pulled out a road lattice. So I'm like, well, they're in Ferndale, Michigan. That's only like four hours, you know, it's outside of Detroit. That's like four hours from Ohio. Maybe I should, you know, try and reach out to them. So back in these days, I actually called directory assistants, got the number for Renaissance Picture, left a, a answering machine message. And some days later, the phone rang. I picked it up and it's like, this is Sam Raimi calling for, for J.R. Bookwalter. This would never happen now. I mean, I, this is just how it's no. it But <laughs> long story short, I went up there, showed those guys a bunch of my Super 8 short films. Sam saw something in me that probably I didn't even see in myself. Asked me, we, we afterwards we sat in his office and he's like, "Well, what are you what are you going to do next?" And I, my, I was a big, always a big fan of George Romero, and I know that he had sort of taken that route of doing like industrial films and things like that, you know, in between Night of the Living Dead and his other movies. So I just figured, well, I'm going to try and get some kind of, you know, do some some kind of work in the area, whatever. And so Sam was the one that said, "Well, if you get something going, you know, a feature going, let me know. You should really be doing a, you know, feature." And he's like I, I might kick some money in and i'm just the type of person that like well you don't have to tell me twice i'll you know so the whole trip the whole four hour drive back i'm basically conceiving what became of the, what became the dead next door scribbled up a little investment proposal sent it to him and i think maybe a couple of weeks went by and he called again and said let's let's do it you know this is again when it was going to be shot for super cheap it wound up being considerably more than what it was originally <laughs> planned to be but that he i found out later that uh from scott spiegel and some of those guys that he had always been fascinated i mean those guys had made super eight short films we weren't so far apart in age that that you know we had yeah the same right i mean you had the same experience yeah. yeah and but sam had always been fascinated to make a feature on super eight film and he'd come close he had made a thing called it's murder which i think was maybe an hour long or 45 minutes long something like that but but none of them had ever made a feature. So I was, I wound up being the guinea pig indirectly, which I was, I was okay with that because I, you know, I shot all my stuff on super eight the same way. So, so yeah, that's, that's how that came to be. And, you know, it's uh it was a blessing and a curse because it sort of, curse them you know there's i've even seen some stuff on on the internet over the years where people are saying that you know oh sam raimi actually directed that movie it wasn't that oh, JR. damn it <laughs> it's like come on guys i think he could have done a better job with it than that it's like obviously it was it was directed oh. by an 18 19 year old kid you know i mean that's the thing it's i mean it's, that's uh, crazy you're a kid yeah i mean it, it was a fanboy movie i was you know i was a fanboy and i was i was making a movie for other fanboys like myself i mean if that isn't obvious just from watching it then, then i failed at my job but it works that film i mean uh, not you know but not because not despite this shortcoming because of like some of the short technical shortcomings it looks it's amazing film for anybody to make it's an incredibly amazing film for a teenage kid you're there you're well, kid to me until you're 30 in, in my opinion but. yeah yeah exactly well i mean and i think that's i tell people you know hey if you want to make movies you got to start when you're young because it's a young man's game and you when you're young you will do stupid things like put zombies on the white house fence that you're not supposed to do or that you've been <laughs> told that you can't do i mean everybody there were other in, like industrial filmmakers and people in the area that they were telling me 
you can't make this. What are you insane? It's like, there's, you know, th this just can't be done. And that all that does when you're 19, 20, whatever, is just spur you on to do it. You know, you want to, you want to prove people wrong. So, okay, old man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'll show you. So that's the thing. I think if, if anybody wants to make something, got to do it when you're young because you, you won't, you, you don't know what you don't know i guess it's a, that's the easiest way to put it. it's like you're there you're there's naivety i need naivete and there's you know you don't have any you're uninhibited you just right. you will do that you will do things that you wouldn't i mean i'm 56 right. you throw but yourself on the floor you, you wake up yeah. now and like i sleep wrong i'm in pain for the next three days but that's it exactly i mean going back to to side effects the latest movie i like you know when i decided to shoot it i'm like i'm gonna make this but i'm not gonna get on the ground and shoot all these crazy you know and of course I did it, you know, multiple times. <laughs> Every time I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, geez, I'm going to have to go to my chiropractor tomorrow. You know, it's, it's just not as easy when you're older. So you got to do it when you're young. Absolutely. I encourage anybody that wants to do it, do it when you're young. Well, I'm going off to do something uh, soon. And it's just like, <laughs> it used to be like, <laughs> you, you go, when you're a kid, you're like, I want the opportunity. It's just like, then you think like, all right, I got to be in a hotel. I got I got to bring my pillow because I can't sleep right without it. Right. That's it. Exactly. I mean, and that's the thing I, I, you know, between dead next door and when I, you know, did this giant scorpion movie for full moon, I had done a lot of movies and, and it was, you know, that's what I was basically doing. There was no period of no extended period of time where I wasn't making something. And it just, once you've done so much stuff, especially when you start doing work for higher stuff, it just, it really starts to grind on you and it's just it becomes that, that i think that was one of the, my impetus for for walking away from it for a period of time was just i need a break you know it's just it was i was feeling it yeah i did grip and electric for years and that was like my way to get into production like that was like i started as a pa and then i went into grip sure. and electric for like 10 years and uh yeah and i just like i i couldn't do it anymore it just burned me out on the whole thing well, that's, just the, like, that's one of the toughest jobs on on any production is is grip and electric those guys have it really rough i mean you would you you know grips are always you always see like grips presented in, in like movies about making movies that they're like lazy that's like well they're laying around so, no 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 yeah, no, no. Yeah, they got yeah. all that equipment there's no late i mean they might be laying around while everybody's shooting because they don't need to do anything but if you pay close attention those are the guys that are really doing all the physical labor best shape i ever was in my life i mean but it was like yeah. really grip and electric the, the smaller productions it's they're kind of they are two departments, but in the small budget world, they're basically kind of one and a half yeah, departments. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's if you're, more. If you're lucky, yeah. Yeah. And I'll... I swear, this city gets crazier and crazier every day. Hey, mister. Oh, jeez, we got a live one. Hey, buddy, the English nobleman in my teeth told me something. Hey, if you go to wnuf.thinkcartel.com, you get the out there Halloween mega tape and other products. I bet you didn't know that. Did you know that the dust balls in my living room, they're there on purpose? Did you know that? Um, do you, do you want like a dollar or something? Ah! Ah! Did you just throw a cat at me? <laughs> oh my god, are you okay? I saw everything. Yeah, I think so. I'll tell you one thing though. I'm not going to rest until I find out more about how to purchase the out there Halloween mega tape and other products from WNUF.BigCartel.com. I can tell you that much. Yes, I too would like to learn more about how to purchase out their Halloween mega tape and other products from WNUF.BigCartel.com. Hello, I'm Mooney Wormtail. Before we begin the Scum of the Earth podcast, I would like to tell you about... Hello, I'm Mooney Kiplingshire Smythe. 
and I'd like to tell you about Psycho Ape 2. Hello, I'm Mooney Cranwell Barklestitch. If you go over to Indiegogo.com, you'll have the exciting privilege. What country am I supposed to be from? Here, if you go over to Indiegogo.com, you'll be able to donate to Psycho Ape 2. Oh, do men in slough like too much cheese? The sequel to the surprise smash hit. Um, Psycho Ape. Hello, I'm Mooney Nigel Smythe Pitt. You'll feel like you just went on a trip to Picklings for Downs. So go over to Indiegogo.com to donate to the crowdfunding campaign for Psycho Ape 2. Are there great perks? Do the people of Hounslow smell like dirt? I'm from the UK. We now return you to the Scum of the Earth podcast already in progress. Oh, I uh, just wanted to mention uh, Chris LaMartina, the director of WNUF uh, Halloween special. He yeah. was going to be on here today. He, uh, he couldn't make it, but he wanted to oh, nice. regards. He He's a huge fan and he's been on the show. I was just like, hey, you want to be on? And he was like, oh, my God, I'd love to. I love J.O. Buck Walter. So he's a big <laughs> fan, too. Yeah, no, I've met Chris. He's a very nice guy. Great filmmaker. Is there a dream film you have that if you had like access to all kinds of money? Well, there's there's quite a few. In fact, I I have a small pile of scripts that I never got around to making because I just never had the resources to do it or the time to do it. I mean, one in particular, it would probably could not have really been made back in the eighties, nineties. Just, yeah. I mean, I, that was when I started at the end of last year, when I decided to, to make something again, I had pulled out one of those scripts, uh, which I thought was it wasn't a horror movie per se, but it, it was I thought that one was more going to be more doable and kind of reread it. I'm like, well, I don't know. This one's it's still a little bigger than I, I wanted something that I, w- I won't say I wanted a softball, it, you know, just but something that kind of eased back into it that wouldn't be as difficult. So we wound up not making that and instead came up with something completely brand new, just based on my love of, of old 70s creature features and that kind of stuff. That was sort of the inspiration of it. But but that means there's still this pile of scripts sitting around waiting to be made. So, yeah, there's there's several. Um, and I know the one I always get asked about is a Dead Next Door sequel constantly. That's if I had five dollars for every time somebody asked me that. I'd oh, I didn't realize that was a thing. Yeah. OK. Finance the thing by this point. Well, there's that there. There's been a number of scripts. There was a treatment I wrote years ago that was, again, too big to do. And then I had had, had worked with a writer to do a sort of an unofficial sequel. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't continue the events from the first film necessarily. But so I don't know that that's going to happen either. I've You know, anything's on the table as long as we can find the money to do it properly. But yeah, I, I do have a handful of things that I would like to do, definitely, that I never got a chance to do. And that's what I'm hoping. Maybe if, if things work out the way I hope with, with side effects, we'll see if that we head back into that. Because I, I, what I don't really want to do, I mean, I, I would like to just go and, and direct some other stuff. I mean, I'm open to just about anything, really. But I would like back to in. get, get I back to, make, get that, back to making out. my own, my own stuff again, and and less, a little less effort on on other people's dreams. I guess I, that's I was out for a long time myself, and I was like, I'm out. And then it's it's that, that it's getting back in. It's like it gnaws at you for a little while. And then it's like okay, and it's like that John Wick thing. It's like you're asking me if I'm back. I'm back. Yeah. Well, it's funny because after not doing it and not even and telling everybody, no, I'm not going to, you know, when people would ask me, I'm like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. And then, you know, for so long, you, you're you used to that. And then suddenly now I'm like, well, OK, I just made this thing. Well, maybe I, you know, maybe I will do it again. I don't know. We'll see. You know, a lot of lots going to ride on how this what the how what people think of this movie. You know, if maybe I made a horrible mistake. Who knows? When do you think it'll be out by? When are you hoping? To be um, out well, I think we'll be done over post over the the summer, and I'm hoping to get it screened. Um, and you know, that's the thing. There's 
there's such a potential now for things to be played in theaters, which was not a thing, you know, years ago when I did stuff. So I'm hoping to get it screened in the fall in a few places and, and see how that goes. And, you know, yeah. and then we'll see where, where it goes from there, I guess. Well, I mean, I'm already sort of actively promoting it and set up all the social media stuff. And we just did a, my website, Makeflix, just did a Memorial Day sale over the weekend and we were giving out free posters oh, for awesome. the movie. We already have artwork and all that stuff. So it's, so that, that whole train is, has left the station and we'll just, you know, see if it's, it's, it's something that I, movie that i would like to see personally but you know whether anybody else wants to see it who knows you know, <laughs> i figure i'm making i'm making this one for me and we'll, let's see how it goes